Hello and welcome to the Missouri City View podcast, where we explore the dedicated work happening in municipalities and how it directly impacts Missouri citizens. I'm Laura Holloway, your host today. Before we begin our show today, I want to take a moment and welcome officials who are newly elected as of the recent municipal elections. Congratulations! Please be sure to check out the website of the Missouri Municipal League, where we offer a variety of training, events, and resources that will help you get up to speed. We especially encourage you to consider attending the MML Elected Officials Training Conference, June 9th through 10th in Columbia, Missouri. This event is specifically tailored to new officials and the most important basics you need to get started. Learn more at mocities.com. Today on our third episode, we are joined by Carrie Turgeon, mayor of Jefferson City, Missouri's capital city. She has served as mayor since 2015, and before that, six years on the city council. She's a local business owner as well of Carrie's Hallmark Store in the lovely downtown area of Jefferson City. Mayor Turgeon, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Great. We are so excited to speak to you today and want to talk about a couple new developments in Jefferson City. Um, the first one that I was going to ask you about is regards something that I think a lot of cities face on dilapidated housing. And Jefferson City, of course, has so many beautiful older homes, and some of them are on Capitol Street with a fantastic view of the Capitol. Some of them are facing deterioration, and the city, though, has been working hard to make improvements. What are some ways that uh, the city is working to build up that area again, and what have you faced? You know, finding, I think when people ask me, what's the most frustrating thing that I deal with as mayor is when you find property owners that have allowed their properties to fall into such disrepair that they become dangerous. And once that happens, of course, the city is forced to step in and remedy that. And in this case, Capitol Avenue is such historic homes from the Capitol over to the prison. That mile of homes is just really uh, unique and um, not just its history and architecture, but the people who lived there over the years. And it's a significant part of our history that's really irreplaceable. So now as we've been dealing with that, we've been able to go through the condemnation process. We had to declare the area blighted, do the blight study, the whole bit, and follow all of that uh, procedure. But now we finally have a few of those properties turned over to other developers and and um owners to revitalize the area. But unfortunately, this one particular owner, Barbara Busher, owned such a large volume. In fact, there's 14 properties we're working on now that have fallen into the dangerous category. So in um, one of those in particular that we're working on has been in our family for over 50 years, which has triggered what they call the heritage clause in state law which means we would basically have to pay her 50% more of the appraised value. And uh, it's already dangerous and in disrepair and really doesn't make sense that we would have to pay more for that. So we're actually uh, have filed House Bill 2443 and asked them to repeal the heritage clause piece for the extra 50% kind of bonus. We don't want to reward property owners around the state if they've allowed their property to become dilapidated into the dangerous state. So kind of narrowing it in on just the dangerous buildings. But we hope that passes because it'll help allow us to then hopefully turn some of those properties over to be revitalized if they don't have to be demolished. And who's sponsoring that bill? Uh, that is Representative David Griffith, and uh, he's our local rep, and we're very thankful for his support. And Rudy Veets, who is our also local rep, sits on that committee that just heard the uh, 
that hearing and we're glad there was no opposition at the hearing. So we're hoping that will be indicative of how it will end up going through um, through to hopefully passage, because this is something other cities I'm sure deal with as well. And that was actually one of my questions was, you know, how this might help other cities. Have you heard from any of them as, as this has proceeded? Yes. Our, our city attorney has worked with many other cities that are facing this exact same issue. And it's kind of, it doesn't even make sense why people would still own property. You'd think they would sell it. You'd think they would do other things before it falls into the dangerous state. But unfortunately, they don't. And Due to state law, we really have restrictions. There's things that we have to follow. We can't just force sell any of these properties. We have to follow these rules and regulations already set forth, even when they've been declared dangerous. So we're doing all we can as cities. I wish there was a way to encourage property owners not to get them in that state. As we know, we're out there boarding up and preventing the crime that happens and fighting all of that when you get into these um, homes that are are unfortunately, in this condition. Um, But a few suggestions. I know something we've done is we've partnered very well with our historic city of Jefferson, a historic group. Um, They have really been proactive in trying to make change in the neighborhood. And, you know, when you get engaged with those neighborhood groups and some of the historic groups in town, they have the resources and enthusiasm to, to really help and assist. So people sometimes ask, what can I do? And even, you know, joining some of those, those type of groups and, and, doing what they can to salvage and save and celebrate history in our, our local cities is very helpful as well and other historical societies too. That's a great suggestion, partnering up with groups. As you mentioned, they're um, already very enthusiastic about that. And, you know, then you have more people kind of working towards that goal. I think that's great. They do. And I'll give you an example too, that you can see online of one of the homes on Capitol Avenue that is going to be a success story. And that's Ivy Terrace which had belonged to Barbara Busher and now has been turned over to uh, developers. And they are on Facebook and on Instagram at Ivy Terrace. And so you can watch how they're meticulously renovating and revitalizing that historic home. So it's very interesting to see. Um, and then there's also another home. It's called The Standish House. And they have a blog called Outstandish. And you can watch, um, you can see what they have done as well. So it's very interesting to see those who have actually documented the, the success story from history to the future. Oh, great. We can put that in the show notes. And so listeners can go check those out and follow along. Perfect. Moving on from dilapidated housing, there's some new developments in Jefferson City. And we know that, you know, many people, of course, know that Jeff City is the capital, but we know that Jeff City is more than just the capital. For example, a recent project getting attention is the Bicentennial Bridge, which you were a big supporter of and a big part of getting that project underway. So can you tell us more about that and how the project developed? Absolutely. And that literally has been 50 years in the making. And we haven't been able to get to our riverfront because we're separated from the river from about seven sets of railroad tracks. So we knew that we wanted to get to the riverfront in Jefferson City, but there was just no way to do so with those tracks. And so we decided to build a bike pedestrian bridge and just simply go over the tracks. And what a better spot to do that than at the Capitol And so we just completed that in December, the Bicentennial Bridge, and it's a bike and pedestrian bridge that leads to about 30 acres of land that's known as Adrian's Island. And we're currently building a park on the site, the Deborah Cooper Park on Adrian's Island, and it has trails that we've already started to build, um, a few of the amenities that you'll find on that park that are still under construction is a large size chessboard with bicentennial history on it. 
Um, there's even going to be a hammock park there with a river view. So you can relax and sit on, uh, lay on the hammocks. There's some picnic tables. They are building a very small covered pavilion and there will be uh, restrooms and it's just going to be a, a wonderful setting. Uh, it's hard to believe all these years that we've been so separated from our riverfront as a river city. That's what built our city, the capital city. Uh, but also the hindrance was cost. It was almost uh, 4.8-ish million dollars to build this bridge. And we did that mostly with private donations, um, namely B.J. DeLong, who put forth $3.2 million in order to build this. And we're forever grateful for her vision because 50 years ago she had worked on this. And uh, we're very thankful for her vision that we were able to make it a reality. That's incredible. That, that really is. And the hammock park, that sounds really neat as well. What is your timeline that they estimate completion? We're hoping this spring into summer. I know the supply issues have affected the construction of the park, but uh, you'll see every day more things are popping up. Uh, we're even going to have a water fountain where you can have uh, for your pets even at the bottom where they can you can bring your dogs. People often ask me that. And yes, we encourage you to bring your bring your dogs along. And uh, so, yeah, this spring and summer it will be completed and then you'll walk the trail to Adrian's Island and the uh, bridge itself, it's about 12 feet wide. So it's a really wide, uh, it's about 800 feet long. So it's, and it's ADA accessible. It's a very smooth uh, path down. And I've seen people with walkers who've gone all the way down to the Island and kids and families and you name it, everybody has really enjoyed it. And the view from the perspective, looking back at the Capitol is stunning and the river, you don't even realize how large the river is until you get it uh, from that perspective and get to, to see the beautiful Missouri River. Um, and it's a great place to walk or jog. I've ridden my bike there several times, and it's easy to get up and down there. And it's it's just really cool. And if you think about it, it even connects us to the Katy Trail because you can then bike across the Missouri River Bridge onto the Katy. So we can attract um, people from all over that will be able to enjoy this new amenity. Wow. That, that's really going to be neat. I live in Jeff City. I have not been able to get out there yet. So I'm really looking forward to that. You will love it. Everybody who goes uh, for the first time, they just are wowed by it. I've had so many people who have either called me or usually they'll see me out there, but they're, they just tell me the excitement when they get to see it for the first time and and they love to go back. And and it's it's just, we don't have enough parks in some of those kind of developed areas. And to have a park, like 30 acre park, right at the back yard of the Capitol is, it's just fantastic. And we're very lucky to have that as many visitors come to the Capitol. And some people ask me, where is it? So when you come to Jefferson City to visit the Capitol, it's on the backside kind of of the Capitol, be the east side by the Senate garage. And right at the entrance, we have a brand new Gold Star Families Memorial Monument that was installed last summer as well. So we have honored veterans when you kind of start that area and those who have given the ultimate sacrifice for our country. And then they're able to then, you know, families can use that as a teaching moment for their children or those who who want to come and pay respect and honor. And then we have the uh, the beautiful bridge following that. So you have some other development potential that I know you've been working on as well, and that is the Missouri State Penitentiary that originally opened in 1836. The prison itself, of course, has been decommissioned, but the city I know has been working to bring this site and all of its incredible history to life. I recently read about a land swap agreement between the city and the state that will help with development. So where does that stand? And can you tell us a little about that? 
Sure. And, you know, I've been mayor now for seven years and that was a number one priority was prison redevelopment. And why it's taken so long is that that site, of course, was owned by the state of Missouri when it was an active prison and still now it is. Uh, The city is partnered with the state and our local convention and visitors bureau to offer tours of the historic areas. So I got to put a plug in for the tours, uh, Missouri Pin Tours. Uh, .com, and you can get information about that. It's a huge tourist attraction, uh, but there is the area just to the east of that that's mainly undeveloped land that has been cleared that we finally were able to get about 30 acres from the state to build a hotel and conference center on that would be adjacent to the historic buildings right overlooking the beautiful Missouri River. Um, But then after the tornado, the landscape of MSP changed. The tornado, of course, took a direct hit on the prison, but Um, so housing unit five, we decided, which is the one closest to the river and, and had some tornado damage really made more sense. It's not a historic building. We thought it made more sense to, um, use that site for the hotel after the tornado. So we've gone through with the state and in a lot of negotiations. And just recently at our previous council meeting, we're able to swap two acres of, of land there from the state. So now the city can actually, uh, work with our developer and contractor to build the hotel on that site. And uh, it's it's interesting that I think the prisoners had the best view of Jefferson City because they look out their window at Housing Unit 5 and had a stunning, amazing view of the Missouri River. Yeah. And then you look to the west and you can see the capital. So imagine now that we can utilize that view for everybody, having a beautiful hotel. Um, the Chesterfield Group developer intends to put a rooftop um, amenity like a rooftop bar, um, similar to he owns the Broadway in Co- in Columbia, so it'll be very much like that. So imagine us being able to utilize that now for all of us to enjoy that view and that space. Another initiative you've been passionate about is safe driving, and I've personally seen you around the city promoting the state's "Buckle Up, Phone Down" campaign. As a former MoDOT employee myself, it's heartwarming to see you taking a lead on bringing awareness to that message. And as a mom whose son turns 16 next month, which is scary, I'm especially happy to see the work that goes into reaching youth with safe driving messages. So based on your work with the campaign, what would you say to new drivers or those who might be tempted to check that quick text on the road? Well, it's never worth it. And when you hear the stories like those who have lost loved ones, you will never touch your phone again when you're driving, when you hear their their devastating and heart-wrenching loss from people who have either been texting or worse, FaceTiming or you name it, just so engaged in their phone. And people are so used to being on the phone, the psychology of it, that you don't even maybe realize because it's such a quick thing that people are constantly checking. But behind the wheel, there's never a good time to be doing that. So hands-free legislation is the way to go, utilizing Bluetooth and not not being engaged on the phone. There are a couple of bills right now. I'm hoping we are one of two states without an all-driver texting ban. So when you talked about your son turning 16, currently the texting ban only applies to drivers under 21. So there's no ban on texting and driving or using your phone for anything if you're over 21. So think about that next time you're on the roads and see how, how safe that makes you feel. Um, And people have said, well, we have careless and imprudent. There's other laws. We don't need more laws. Well, there's if there's one place we actually need laws and regulations, it's absolutely behind the wheel. These are preventative measures. We don't just put a a bucket of careless and imprudent and put things like 
speed limit and other safety precautions and stopping at a stoplight or or uh, impaired uh, driving or alcohol or anything else all into that bucket. There's very specific laws that regulate what you can and can't do behind the wheel. And if anyone out there thinks it's okay to FaceTime or text behind the wheel, I would certainly challenge that. And I hope our legislators see the value in that. We have a lot of support and in fact, most people would would favor uh, a law. And for those of us in cities, we can't supersede state law. We've tried and we are, are unable to. So we can't even on our own cities say, well, we're going to ban this. We can't. Uh, we have to rely on the state law in order to make that happen. So I hope they do uh, the the right and the safe and the best thing for all of us. Yeah, I mean, it's so easy, I think, to get lulled into thinking, oh, it's just so quick. I'll just do this really quick. And what you're saying is so important that it's it's not just for younger drivers, you know, but that it's so important for everyone to be watchful and careful on the road and, and focus on the road. Absolutely. And we have a, a there's a website, Hands Free Missouri, or I'm sorry, that's the Facebook page. Hands Free Missouri on Facebook has uh, there, there's a video, unfortunately, of just right around, you know, close to Jeff City in Columbia of a uh, a young man who lost his life and it, it shows the crash scene and happening. And it's, you know, it's just, she never even saw it was FaceTiming the whole time. And uh, it's very sad when you, when you see that and, and hearing from the uh, widow and her story, you will, you know, absolutely take that to heart and never do it again. So uh, we hope that legislation passes. I don't know how we can be one of two States in the country. I mean, it's right. It's, it's embarrassing. It's frustrating. Uh, all the states have done it, and it's time for Missouri as well. Well, one last question. I don't want to keep you too long. You have covered so much about the great developments in the city, but I like to wrap up each podcast by asking our guests two things they love about their community. So what do you love? Well, I love the people. I mean, that is by far the best thing, the experiences I've had and meeting so many wonderful people as mayor. And I think I would also love just being able to get these things done that are so visionary that we've talked about for generations. So seeing those things come to completion, like the Bicentennial Bridge and soon to be the prison redevelopment, those things that people say, you know, we've talked about that forever. Is it ever going to happen or why, why will that ever happen? And then you get to have the ribbon cutting, you know, the groundbreaking and ribbon cutting and it actually happens. That has been just extremely exciting to see uh, all of those things come to fruition. That is really great. I, I just thank you so much for your time today and sharing what other cities might be able to do to improve the dilapidated housing and some of the developments that you've seen on as your time as mayor. We're just really appreciative of you joining us today. And you shared some great resources, too, which I will be sure and put in the show notes, including you mentioned that hands Free Missouri and the Ivy Terrace as part of the dilapidated housing to watch some of the improvements there. So thank you for all of that. You're welcome. I'd be happy to. And I really have enjoyed also sharing with you and then sharing with everybody. I try to post what I can on social media, selfie with the mayor using my hashtags or hashtag Mayor Turgeon or JCMO. So people can find, they can search and find some of those uh, stories and pictures and things we're doing to improve our community. Wonderful. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you all so much for joining us today. And listeners, be watching for future Missouri City View podcasts. To learn more about the Missouri Municipal League, visit mocities.com.